<laughs> they're not ticked off, or they're not angry at you. They're, they're just ticked off, all right? Just remember that. Good morning, Northern Hills. How are you guys doing this morning? Great. It's great to be with you. I know I'm in a little bit of a food coma coming out of the Thanksgiving holidays, but hopefully we'll be able to uh, engage with one another and have a uh, good morning here. Uh, I want to welcome all of you that are here in person, of course. I want to welcome all of you that are joining us online as well. And uh, we're in our last week of a teaching series we've called Because I Said So. And it's a blatant parenting uh, teaching series, but we've been talking about for the last many weeks how this really impacts us all, doesn't it? This is a series that's for those that are uh, parenting currently. Uh, maybe some people in the room or online one day want to become a parent. Uh, this series has been for those that are uh, us individuals that are coming alongside parents and helping them. You may be an aunt, an uncle, a teacher, or coach. And so this series has been for you as well. And then, of course, it's been for those of us that are uh, our kids are parenting. <laughs> and so we're trying to come alongside our kids and just help them through the journey as well. Now, because I said so is a phrase that you might have heard growing up. It might have been something your parents told you. It might be a phrase that you repeated at some point with your own kids or do repeat with your own kids. But I think we all know, those of us that are looking to have influence in the life of a young person, in the, a person that we're shaping and molding for adulthood, that because I said so will only go so far when it comes to influence. And that's one of the things we've been addressing as well for the last uh, three weeks. I wanna encourage you to go back. I really think it could be helpful if you're just engaging right now with this teaching series, go back for the previous three weeks. Uh, I, I trust it's gonna be helpful for wherever you're at in this season. But the question we've been looking to answer each week as we've come together is how do I keep the relationship intact? How do I keep the relationship intact? Because I had said so, we'll only go so far in influence. But if we keep the relationship intact as the long-term goal, that's where we believe we can help form the future of, of an individual. That forms is, is all formed through relationship. And as we've pointed out from week to week in this series, uh, when it comes to good examples of family and parenting, the Bible is really not the best resource, quite honestly. Now, now hear what I say when I say that. For family and parenting, all right, the Bible is a great resource when it comes to loving another individual. But family and parenting, it's actually full, it's pretty much an encyclopedia of family dysfunction. So if that's the bad news, then I think the good news comes about to realize that Jesus and the authors of the New Testament, they pointed us towards this new love command, this way to love others. Now, when Jesus and, and, and the New Testament writers were coming around this new command that was centered around love, it wasn't specifically talking to parents, but I think it can help frame for parents the way we should parent. Uh, when Jesus spoke to this love and, 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 and specifically what love looks like for our day and our age, I think that can help with coworkers. I think that can help in the midst of marriages. Uh, all those love pieces tie into the way we are called as believers, people that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ looking to follow him. This is a new command, the new way. And I love this to get handles on that because love is sort of this broad term, love others as God, as Jesus loves us. What does that mean? The, the Apostle Paul gives us some handles with this. And so he speaks towards how love behaves and how it behaves under pressure. 
how it could behave within the home life, how it could behave with just one-on-one relationships. So Paul, this is appropriate for Thanksgiving when you think about it, Paul gives us some love handles, right? He gives us thank you for that. That was free this morning. That was all free. All right, that was a dad joke for this morning. But he gives us some love handles. This is what he does. And he scatters applications. He does it throughout the New Testament. He gives it to the Colossians and the Ephesians and the Philippians. But his most famous explanation, at least what I would deem his most famous explanation of what love looks like, what this new command love looks like, is in the 13th chapter of, or excuse me, the 13th chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians. And we call that 1 Corinthians. And in week two, if you remember, what we talked about is the first three words. That's really all we landed in week two. Love is patient. And we started there because sometimes that can be the most difficult hurdle to get past as parents. Love being patient. We talked about this idea of how we get stuck into a, a, an area where we might be more pushy than we are patient. More, more moving at our pace than someone else's pace. And then Pastor John spoke to last week this other elements of love. Love is, is, love is kind. What does kindness look like? Love does not envy. It does not boast. It isn't proud. But where I love Pastor John landed on, he loved on this thought that love honors. And what he was trying to delineate is this idea that parents want to come with this idea of obedience. How to make our kids and the people that we're raising up obedient. And how honor really trumps that. Because honors to the heart of this satisfying relationship. And so it's picking up where we left off. The Apostle Paul follows this honor discussion with a similar idea. And he writes this. He says, love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And another way to say this would be that love isn't selfish. Love puts the interest in the needs of other people, whoever those other people are in your life, first. That's how that works, which would pretty much, when you think about it, solve all kinds of relationship problems. Every kind of relational issue that any of us have, if we just lean towards that, put in the interest of others before ourselves, that could solve a lot. But Paul, I love this, he connects this important dot for us by addressing what might be the most common expression of this self-seekingness that all of us have in the context of relationships, within the context of parenting. And the dot he connects here is Paul says that love is not easily angered. Isn't that interesting? Now the Greek term translated for angered here is actually a cooking term. In other, uh, in other literature, it's translated as stir or stirred up. And here's a question that I want us to ask ourselves. Because what Paul is essentially saying here is that love is not easily stirred up. So, do your kids ever stir you up? They ever stir up anything that's going on for you emotionally? And of course they do, right? I love this. It's such a great term because when you're cooking and when you're stirring a pot, what's happening? Now, this will come as no surprise to many of you. I'm not the cook uh, in our house. I'm not very handy in general around our house. But I don't, I don't really help with cooking outside of helping my wife with whatever she needs. She needs me to grab something from the fridge. If she needs me to cut something. If she needs to some, just give me some direction and I'm after. Right Now, I make a mean, mean peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a bowl of cereal, all right? But that's about my limitations. Sometimes I'm required to stir a pot. And that sounds like an easy job because it is. She doesn't want me to burn the house down. So just stir that pot. 
Stir that pot, and I just need you to focus on doing that. Now, that's an easy job, and if it's a crock pot of soup or a crock pot of chili, what are we doing when we stir a pot? What's happening there? All the things that have settled to the base of whatever that pot is rises to the surface. We're just surfacing what's already there to begin with, right? And I know this can be a hard question. Maybe even as we get started, we've just gotten done with the family setting, and there's a lot of nuance to those family relationships. Some of us are exhilarated coming out of Thanksgiving. Some of us are just beat and tired. But I want to ask this hard question anyway. What if our kids don't make us angry? What if our kids don't make us angry? What if they're just stirring something to the surface that's already deep down in us? And I'm speaking to myself on this. I'm speaking from personal experience that our kids can do a great job of, of stirring our pots, right? Those little boogers, or if you're raising big boogers, they do it better than anybody else. But it's in those moments that we finally understand a little bit of what we put our parents through when that happens, right? What is already in us that they're so good at bringing to the surface? And check this out. Paul already tells us. It's our self-seekingness. It's our selfishness. Our desire to have our own way. Our desire for them to obey versus honor and just get outside and go play, right? This whole stirring up, I think it can reframe the idea of anger in many of us. Just consider it. And not just with kids, but with anyone. Maybe it's rare that people, that individuals actually make us angry. And I mean really angry what if instead they're just stirring something up and don't get me wrong having our emotions stirred up that's inevitable in this world chances are in each stage of parenting we're going to figure out the best way to just regain perspective and work through those emotions and just a side note as we talk about emotions being stirred parenting is emotional <laughs> newsflash Ooh, there's a nugget for everybody right but parenting's emotional, and it's emotional for several, several reasons. And I just want to highlight that I think it's good to engage with those emotions, even if that's not the way you're built, even if that's not the way God made you. Don't miss this. It's important for us to talk with our kids about the emotional side of life. I don't think we hide that. We don't pretend. We, we don't lean towards emotion or emotion, showing emotions is weakness, because what it is is it's humanness. One child psychologist put it this way. It is scarier for a child to have a parent who is struggling and doesn't talk about it versus a parent who is struggling and does talk about it. There's a difference between a parent that's just in it and going through it and doesn't even touch that subject with their child and a parent who's struggling with life and all the emotions that go and does talk about it. And of course, that means age appropriate discussions as it relates to those emotions, but it's a healthy practice. And it's healthy for our children. It's healthy for our marriages. It's healthy for everybody. And here's what's great about it. Our kids learn in those moments that it's okay to feel. It's okay to have the emotions that they're going through. Because some, someone's going to come along at some point and stir their pot. Chances are the older they get, <laughs> you are going to be the one that stirs their pot. You as their parent is going to be the one. And then when that happens, I think they need to understand what's going on. And they need to understand those are normal feelings and what they need to do with everything that our young people are facing today. Let's not fool ourselves. Isolation, desolation for many of them, right? 
I think it's going to be difficult to help them figure this out, to navigate it. So that's why just engaging with the emotions, I think it's such a big deal. Now, before we continue on with what the Apostle Paul would continue to teach on this new love, I just want us to go actually back to, to something James said, because I think it leans into this emotion thought. This is James, the brother of Jesus. And what he had to say to me is this very practical, relational insight, maybe more than we'll ever have, because he helps us lean into the emotional conversation with our kids. And he explains why we're so easily stirred up, really with the people that we love the most the people that we connect with the most, I think this will help us get a handle as we have this conversation, as we just lean into the emotional side with our kids. The way James approaches this, he asks a question and then he answers his question. Here's the question he asks. What causes fights and quarrels among you? So in other words, what's the source? What's the source of the conflict you're experiencing at home or wherever you're having conflict? Now, when we hear or we read that kind of question, I think it's easy for us to lean into, well, someone else is causing that. Someone else's behavior, somebody else's words, somebody else's tone, and the tone they took with those words. But I think James, I think the Apostle Paul, is like, no, those, those behaviors, the words that want to come out of your mouth, Maybe the tone you heard, all those things, those are simply stirring something that was already in you. And James answers his question. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And he continues, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. I think that's powerful if we just take some time to really lean in and just pause and really let the words seek in. The source of our anger, the source of our arguments, the source of conflict we have, get this, we are not getting what we want. We're not getting what we want. It's a powerful principle to teach our kids and be reminded of. And I'm not, again, I'm not pointing my finger I'm just being reminded of those moments and personal experience. It's so true and it's so difficult to step outside when it involves our children. And that makes it difficult to see. But I know from my own experience, when I do step outside of that, when I step back long enough to look at a difficult circumstance within our home and remind I, myself that I might be a part of that, what I'm angry about well, the source of the argument or conflict, what I'm quarreling with others, might be me just not getting something I want. When I engage with that, that's really good parenting. That's in my best moments. And the internal conversation would look similar to what your internal conversation might be. Brandon, be honest. Part of the problem, part of the problem, not saying all of it, but this is not you getting what you want. Because you want them to do their best. And they're not doing their best in this moment. You want them to pay attention they're not paying attention. You want them to quit picking on each other and having this fight, but part of the reason is that's what you want. And the reason you're going to have to say, you're going to have to apologize later for the things that you say is you not getting what you want. And I think if we own that, I think if we admit that, then that's a step towards owning a part of the conflict pie. We just got done with Thanksgiving. We're all familiar with pie, hopefully. And if you had pumpkin pie, that means you're a Christian. So well done. But, but, but we all had our, our pie for the holiday. What's your, what's your part of the conflict pie? You're part of the conflict pie when it comes 
to just keeping the temperature of the room. And here's the thing, when we own our part, that temperature of the room, it comes down. You know this to be true. It's true for your life. It's true for mine. James was right. Fights and quarrels erupt when somebody isn't getting what they want, when somebody isn't getting what they deserve, when somebody isn't getting what they need. And that's not just parenting. Are you kidding? Husbands, wives, when we own our piece of the conflict pie, tell me that that temperature in the room. Honestly, I'm, I'm not sure there's a more valuable relationship principle to teach and to model with our kids than this one. I can't think of anything that's more important for them to understand that they're going to have at some point in their life someone or perhaps two someones who aren't getting their way in a conflict. And when they can own their part, what does that mean of what can heal, what can be restored? Love is not self-seeking. Love is not about getting my way. Love is not easily angered. Love actually recognizes what's really going on. I think there's another reason to get this role right and and have that continued conversation um, as parents. See, our, our words, Pastor John touched on this a little bit last week, but our words, when we allow our emotions to take over, and then it begins framing the words we're about to, when we allow our emotions to take over our mouths, what happens? I think we talk to and we react to our children like they have context and they have capacity to understand that situation. Have you ever been there? Where you're having this, again, adult conversation with someone, just a little guy, little gal, and, and you're bringing them into your world of context and the complexity behind adulthood. I, I've just been there so many times with my kids. And so we talk and react to our children as if they have an understanding of that. And we wouldn't dream about talking to that way. Uh, Some of the things we say to our kids, we wouldn't dream about doing that around other adults. But at least adults would have context and understand the complexity and and, and the capacity of of what's going on because they're adults. Oh, you know what? Brandon said that to me, but he's just having a bad day. He's really in it. He's been really stressed out. I'm not going to take that to heart. I'm going to chalk it up to him having a bad day. Or maybe the close friendships you have that can just speak into your life and call you out on it. What the heck is wrong with you? And you begin having this adult conversation. But we got to catch this. This is important now. Our kids don't process anger that way. They don't process anger as, oh, what's wrong with mom? I wonder what's wrong with dad. They process our anger as, what's wrong with me? That's how our kids react. That's how our kids take that in because they don't have the context. They don't have the capacity to understand what's going on with that emotional side and deal with this internal need to get what we want. So we don't watch what we say. And when we say that thing, there's, oh, that's a lot to navigate in that pot. They don't understand that. They don't get that. So are we easily stirred up? And are we willing to admit that when we are, something was just already there to begin with? Would we just be willing to pause and step outside, own our conflict part of that pie, right? Yes, I admit it. Would we want, what we want for our kids, generally, it's, it's from a good spot. It's just wanting more for them than maybe we got for ourselves. But when that frustration, that emotion, that anger enters into that picture, all of that stems from something that we're not getting. And so to lean in, to seek God in all of that, that's what good parenting looks like. I wonder what would happen if we became masters at apologizing. 
what really, truly relationships would look like. Realizing, I was realizing this the other day. Our kids, Camden and Elodie, Camden's 10, Elodie's 13 now, they're actually really good at seeking forgiveness from one another. And immediately my pride and ego wanted to target that. Well, that's amazing, Brandon. You're a great parent. <laughs> like, that's what I wanted to chalk it up to, that we had bestowed this, this great knowledge on our kids, and that came from great coaching, some great parenting skills. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me, no, <laughs> you know what that is, Brandon? You apologize a lot around the house. <laughs> There's a lot that I have to apologize for because maybe I'm easily stirred up because I'm quick to anger. And so immediately as I get the context of the situation, I'm coming back inevitably if it's not five minutes from that argument, maybe five hours from that argument. And they're just seeing what's going on, right? I have a lot to seek forgiveness for, but that's something that's going on inside that maybe if I wasn't so quick and more apt to step outside of those moments and see that love is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. Here's another way to uh, say this. Write this down. When love is not self-seeking, it will not be easily angered. When love is not self-seeking, it will not be easily angered. Something just to remind, at minimum, myself. As we look at the handles uh, that Paul's providing us, this new love command, of course he continues through it, right? Next up he says this. He says, love, it keeps no record of wrongs, which can be difficult for us as parents. Remember, the days are long, the years are short. That's what we said week one of this teaching series, right? But it's important for us to remember, sometimes our memories need to be a little shorter too. Because sometimes they're, they're so, uh, we can remember something in the life of our kids so much that we're remembering their past failures and we're throwing that in front of them again. And they already know what those past failures are. And when we really think about it, it's a bit of a power play when we use that. And just to make it personal, when somebody holds your past over you, who's in the elevated position? When somebody holds your past, let's say it's a negative thing in your past, who's in the elevated position? They are. Well, we don't have to do that with our kids. We're already in the elevated position. That is just what it is. There's no need to open the file cabinet. And I think that's true in marriage as well. It appears when we think about it, that's exactly how God works with us, isn't it? He doesn't go back to the file cabinet. He's not reopening old wounds and reminding us, hey, I caught you in it, remember? It doesn't delight in that. Love doesn't delight in bringing up, keeping no record of wrongs. That's what love does. It keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13, 6, Paul says this, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So in other words, love likes to catch and celebrate people for what they're doing right. See how it's the antithesis of <laughs> what we just talked about? It's not keeping record of wrongs, but it's actually celebrate. Here's all the things that are going on. I'm so proud of you for that you're doing right. It's not that uh, I, I got you this time again kind of moments that we've all had as parents, which is normal, but it's not love. Just trying to prove that is just trying to prove that you're right to your children. And love doesn't open that. It says, no, here's the things that I'm going to celebrate. Here are the things I'm going to catch you doing well. Here's the things I'm going to rejoice in with the truth. And then Paul continues and he writes this. He says, I love this, love always, it always protects. Love always protects. In other words, it always defends. It stands guard. It keeps bad things out. And we're looking to protect our children. That's hard. 
That's much harder as they get older. I understand just by being able, the opportunity to work with students for as long as I had, but between social media, between the friendships they have, it's hard to know how to protect our children. I think it's hard to know how to protect our children without being overly protective. We even talked about that a few weeks ago. A couple weeks we spoke to the idea of, again, not being pushy, but being patient, moving at their pace and not moving at ours. Well, that can be a really difficult thing in the midst of them growing older. But I would err this morning, as much as we spoke to that, and I get it, because helicopter parenting probably wasn't even a phrase uh, except five years ago. Now it seems to be this proverbial word we use of just the parents that are just sort of hoarding over and covering their kids. Again, we have to find that line of not being too pushy in their lives, but instead love is patient. But I want to talk to that protection side this morning. Now I would say that if we're going to err on any side, let's err on the side of too much protection rather to, than too little. I just want us to consider that for this morning. Let's err on that side. And so what I mean by that is let's relax our grip on them slowly. Or what I would call patient acceleration. <laughs> because what happens when we grant more freedom as time passes, rather than granting freedom uh, right away and completely loosening the grip and then trying to take that back later, it's harder to do it that way. Instead of just sort of trusting our gut and just in the moment, slowly releasing some of those freedoms. And that's what I would argue is just trust your gut. <laughs> Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, to speak to your head in any given moment. What are the things that I need to release to give freedom? And freedom has very little to do with age. It should have a lot to do with their maturity and what they're able to handle. Train your child in the way that they shall go. <laughs> it's a proverb. And train them, what it means is train them in the way that shall go. Train them according to the way they're bent. That means spending time looking at your kid and understanding, okay, are they ready for this in their maturity level? And one kid might be different than another. Our daughter's 13 years old, and she just recently got her cell phone. Her friends, they were getting their cell phones at 10 and 11. And that's not a mandate on saying if you did it at 10 or 11, then that's bad. No, that's you, and you do you. But for us, we looked at Elodie and we trusted our gut that she wasn't ready at that age to have a cell phone. And parents, we need to stand our ground on whatever that thing is. Despite what the world may tell us, it's okay for our kids to temporarily hate us. It's okay to have that if we're going to err on the side of protection. It doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It probably means that you love your son and your daughter more than you love your son and daughter's approval. And that's not a bad thing. It's important. Parents who are seeking the approval of their children above over what's best for their children, they'll end up with neither approval or what's best. So write this down. Sometimes love will look like you're the enemy. And that's okay. Because love always protects. Sometimes love is going to look like you're the enemy. And that's okay because love always protects moms and dads in the room online it's okay to be the enemy because love protects let's err on that side a little more not being pushy not having our agenda not 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 growing up our kids in the way we wanted them to grow up in everything according to their bend according to how god's made them love always protects and sometimes that love's going to protect fiercely 
So as we wrap up today and really wrap up this teaching series, I wanted just us to remember this. There are no perfect families. <laughs> there are no perfect children. And honestly, I wonder if we'd even want it that way. Would you want a perfect child? A perfect child, I'll tell you this, a perfect child in our life would not like spending time in our life because we are very imperfect parents. <laughs> and, and then they're around imperfect siblings. And so I don't know what kind of life that would, just answer this question honestly, if you could choose, if you had the opportunity to choose between perfectly obedient children who never caused a moment's trouble, but did not enjoy being with you. Or you could choose someone that was in typical trouble, the trouble that seems to rear its ugly head at different ages that they are, or the, the kinds of trouble that would keep you up at night during a season, but who in the end enjoyed being with you. Which would you choose? I think for all of us, we would choose that healthy relationship over perfect behavior. How do I keep the relationship intact? That's the long game. That's the long game. That's the question, the quintessential question we need to ask as a parent. And when it comes to choosing this healthy relationship over behavior, thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, God, for loving me, for loving us, that you had relationship trump everything. He gave us this gift of free will. He gave us this gift of choice, and in the same way in doing that, he also announced forgiveness ahead of time. Because my behavior didn't trump what he wanted from me, and that's relationship. He made us <laughs> relational beings. The most important thing to God was always, has always been relationship. Now, if we were to boil down this teaching series to one thing, that's it. That's the North Star. Healthy relationship with our children. I remember going to a children's conference um, with two staff members. And I remember at that children's conference, it was so powerful to me because one of the things I walked away with, this was before, well, it was right either before we had kids or just as the kids were recently born. It was very early in the stages of parenting or even considering parenting. And I can remember Actually, it was before. It was before kids because it was about 15 years ago. So, yeah, that would escape me. And I can remember at that conference, it was powerful to me because one of the things I walked away with was trying to build an environment of have to um, versus want to. And I was leaning in, well, the have to, want to, what does that even mean? Let me explain that to you. What the speaker was speaking to, he was in the prodigal son. And we've all had those moments, I think, where <laughs> prodigal son moments, maybe we're even our life, our story is that we've had to come home because of we're just destitute. We didn't have any more money or we made a lot of bad choices and so we had to go back home to reset. That's the prodigal son story. And then of course, Christ's love abounds in that. Shows us the picture of the good father that's always looking out for his son, always looking out for his daughter and welcoming him back home. But some of us just go back home because we have to. It's not maybe being destitute. It's just because we have to. We have to reset. We have to go back home. And there's this level of, oh, there's going to be some drama there. There's going to be some conversations I don't want to get in. There's going to be some rules that we have. There's going to be this have-to notion of coming back. But it's going to get me back on my feet. I'm going to save up some money. And I have to go back home for those reasons. What if we built cultures of want? Where our kids want to come back home. 
I remember walking away wanting that. Wanting that for Elodie and wanting that for Camden, even when I didn't know who Elodie and Camden were. <laughs> that I would want an environment to create an environment. That I would so desire to have this environment where they wanted to come back home. And not because they just had to, but because it's where they enjoyed conversations. And they loved hanging around everybody, even their own siblings, even their parents, the crazy conversations we would get in. But they would come to a place not only that they enjoyed being around each other, but they enjoyed also the influence that was taking place in that home. I don't always get that right. But that can be our North Star, is creating the want to versus the have to. That's the last thought for this morning. Let's look at creating environments that are want to versus have to. I think God's going to move in that. And when we look at that new command of love, that loving others as Jesus loves us, I think that's going to go a long way in forming that relationship of influence because it's that kind of healthy relationship that's going to have lasting influence. And what we need to remember is that's not because Brandon, Pastor Brandon said so. It's not because I said so. It's because God did. It's because God said so. We have our map. We have the word of God to look at. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily stirred up. It's not easily angered. Wow, love always protects. I know the Holy Spirit wants to speak something to each of our hearts in the new command, the new way to look at love when it comes to our kids when it comes to those healthy relationships that we want to build at work, when it comes to our marriages, let's love others the way Jesus loves us. And that's going to take some time to just step away from ourselves a little bit, own our piece of that, and say, God, how would you love, how would you help me love others today? Because you said so, because you're enough, because your good is good enough. If you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are enough for him. You're enough, is enough for him. He came because he loves you. Because he, he didn't look at your behavior over the relationship that he wants with you. And that relationship can start simply, easily today. When we confess with our mouths, when we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. That's Romans 10.8. It's another promise of God. It's another roadmap to this relationship. And if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray silently in your heart as I just pray this aloud. God, God, I, I, I put a wall up in a lot of ways because I felt like my behavior dictated the relationship you would want with me. And yet today it makes sense that you came despite my behavior, despite the things I've done or will do. God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I want you, Jesus, to be my Savior. I put my faith and my trust and my hope in you. Father God, would you just direct my life? Would you be the leader of my life? And help me to understand more and more what that means each day. If you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you are part of the family of God, and Jesus 
wants to begin that relationship with you. And so I'm going to ask you to share that with somebody you came with. If you're online, post something. We'd love to get a Bible in your hands. Just help you with some resources and tools that are going to help you build what that relationship looks like. But share it with somebody. Don't keep that inside. God reveals himself through so many avenues, his word, nature. He reveals himself through relationship. That's what we've been talking about this whole series. So tell somebody. Let's pray this morning now, and we'll be dismissed. Father God, yeah, I just, uh, God, I just thank you for being our enough. <laughs> that your word is enough. I don't need 50 different parenting help books. Those are good. <laughs> Those are resources you've given me, Lord, but all I need is your word. Not because it's not easy to find families of dysfunction, Lord. There's tons of families of dysfunction, parenting dysfunction that's found in the word, but that's my life. Thank you for providing some comfort in knowing that I'm not alone, that it's sort of me too. Me too, I struggle with this as well. But Lord, thanks for having a true north for each of us in this room, a north, true north that points towards the new idea of love. And it's not really how our world communicates love. We're a self-seeking, self-promoting kind of culture, Lord. You're, you're the antithesis of that. Father God, help Help each of us embrace that your love is the new command, the new thing. And when we love like Jesus loves us, God, wow, is that going to form my parenting? Is that going to form every kind of relationship? So thank you that your word is enough. <laughs> thank you that you're enough. And God, we just ask that you would move in each of our hearts to embrace the part of love that you want each of us to grow given you free reign and we're going to follow you the whole way thank you for loving us not for our behavior but because you wanted relationship the whole time we pray these things in your great name amen thanks for checking out this week's message if you'd like to get involved here at northern hills check out our website at inhills.org or download the northern hills app we hope to see you again soon